going on guys, Charles Moran Baker, the handsome home buyer. And this holiday season, we made a pilgrimage. You see me now. I always usually look like shit, but for the purposes of this podcast, absolutely not. I got dressed up a little bit and we are talking to the man, Eric Jansen, who is the only true Italian bespoke suit maker in the country. Enjoy. Bing, 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 baby, baby, Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Handsome Home Buyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit, aka. That's right. And on today's podcast, we have something very different, totally outside the box, which is very cool. I've been waiting months. I'm super excited about it. Met this gentleman about six months ago. Feel like I've known him my entire life. Longer than six months. It's been like a year and a half. No, it hasn't been a year and a half. It's been a year and a half. Yeah, because we did your suit, and then uh, that was in my old location. Uh And then I've been here for almost a year. So uh, you've been telling me ever since I met you, like every time I, I come in, I come in basically looking like half a homeless man. And you just look at me like, bro, like you're, you're like a real estate developer. You gotta like, we gotta like, you gotta turn you into an Italian gentleman. So just to give a little bit of backstory on, um, you know, how we met and, and all that. Believe it or not, you might find this hard to believe because all people see me is sweatshirts trudging into houses that smell like cat pee every day. Um, and running around in a dusty office, I actually have a um, a big love for fashion. Yeah, I worked at Kenneth Cole back in the day, and then for a brief moment, I actually took sewing and design classes at a local community college. No, I Did didn't I tell know you that? that? No, I didn't know that. See, I took <laughs> sewing and design classes because when I was in Kenneth Cole, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to be a fashion designer. I have and, no idea. Yeah, and that didn't uh, last that long. And again, usually, like you know, I'm I'm not the most uh, dapper of dressers, but. There's one thing that I've appreciated for a very long time and searched for literally five years, and that is a beautiful, custom, bespoke suit. And mm-hmm. we're going to define that. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody really knows. Like, it took me years of education to understand that. <laughs> yeah, it took me going to Rome, so. <laughs> so just to, to, to round out the backstory, so I spent literally five years on YouTube, reading articles, trying to find a truly custom suit. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you explain in a minute what, you know, bespoke means and all that. And I found that they're, they really weren't around. No. Yeah, that's true. Like you're in New York, which you kind of, I, I, I mean, we're, I'm, we're biased, or at least I'm biased. I think it's like the center of the universe. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in regards to the United States, I think it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, you would think with all the money and everything here that you'd be able to get something like that, but like. You can't. You have to go to, you know, Savo Row, or you have to go to Italy, or yeah. You got to wait for one of them to travel to the to New York. So like you you have bespoke tailors in Italy yeah. and bespoke tailors in on Savile Row, and they'll travel to the United States. So they'll hit up like New York, Dallas, you know, maybe Chicago and San Francisco mm-hmm. or L.A. <clears throat> but they come once, twice a year. Yeah. So you place an order with them, and you got to wait for them to come through, you know. And so you you what what could be a five month process turns into like a two year process. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, I, I met Mr. Eric Jansen of Sartorio Gallo NYC, and I got two custom suits, and it literally, it, it like, it changed my life. First of all, a lot of people go out and they, I say they, they waste money and they'll go to like a suit supply or a department store. Not to say these places are bad. No, no. They're not, and for the money, but it never really fits right. You sit down and it's like, it's like uncomfortable. It's not a pleasant experience. Yeah, no, yeah. Wearing a suit. 
Well, the, the difference is, and I guess we could get into that now. <clears throat> the difference is, is that that's a made-to-measure or a custom program yeah. as opposed to a bespoke program. So everyone nowadays, 99.9% .9 of the stores in the United States are selling a product of custom-made or made-to-measure. And basically what that is is they take a block pattern, which is a block idea of what a human should be, mm -hmm. and they let you customize a few things, and they change minor things. So... They'll take in the waist of the trousers, they'll take in the waist of the coat, they'll maybe lengthen it or shorten it a little, and then you can pick your lapel your and your fancy lining. Yes. yes, you can get your skull and crossbones lining, things like that. Which is like the one thing that you don't allow. You're like, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not how we do it. <laughs> no, but because in the custom world, that's all you, that's how they make you feel like this is your personal piece. Yeah. Okay. But in the bespoke world, every aspect of that suit is specifically yours. Yeah. No other human being can put that coat on and it fit them in the same way that it fits you. So that's because we build a pattern specifically that's yours. So you have a Charles pattern hanging in our, in our pattern block and it hangs there and every time you order, we take that pattern down and we build your suit off of it. We adjust it every time that we make a suit for you. So your first, first and second suits are great, but your third, fourth, and fifth suits are gonna be even better. Because yeah. every time that we are working on your pattern, we're adjusting and we're always making it better because we can always do better because mm -hmm. that's, that's what we always wanna strive for. The other thing about our suits is they're almost 90% handmade. So each coat has about 30 to 40,000 hand play stitches in each suit coat. Uh, it takes us 80 hours just to make your, your coat of your, of your uh, suit. It takes us about another 20 to make your trousers. So all that goes into this bespoke process and no piece is left to chance. Every piece of that suit is entirely and specifically yours. Uh, down to your lapel width, down to where we place your pockets, things like that. So just so people understand, basically you come in and you measure, you know, top to bottom yeah. and you create a paper pattern. Correct. And people are unaware. It's like, I was really unaware of this until I actually put on the suits, which are, it's literally like wearing another skin. Yeah, exactly. It's like armor yeah. and it's beautiful. And you just like, you sit and you're comfortable. But I started looking at my body. I'm like, you know what? My shoulder is jacked up. Like <laughs> I got a shoulder that's like here and another shoulder that's yeah. here. And it's just, you don't realize how, unless you're getting a bespoke product from someone like yourself, it's never going to fit right. No. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. You know, and, and it's worth it. Like if you take care of these things, they last forever. So for me, it's worth it to spend the money to get something that you really look and feel amazing in. Oh, exactly. And, it, and that's the thing. It's not only an investment of the client's money, but mm -hmm. it's also an investment of the tailor's time. And because those, both of those things are investments into this piece, our goal in our job is to make mm -hmm. it last as long as it possibly can, as long as the cloth will allow it to last. So, you know, no one, no one is going to put in 80 to 100 hours of work into a garment and have it not last, you know, at least 20, 25 years because that's just a waste of time. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's our other goal is to make sure. And so that, that reason as well is everything that we do has to transcend time and fashion. So we, we never want to adhere to fashions yeah. in, the, in the bespoke world. Because once you adhere to fashion, you've, you've pigeonholed yourself. And so you're going to wear that suit for 20 years and someone's yeah. going to go, oh, those lapels are like from 20 years ago. You got these tiny little, you know, razor thin lapels. And, you know, why are you wearing that stupid suit? But if you find a suit or if you make the suit in a way that's perfectly 
you know, yours and works for you, and then also transcends time and fashion, then you can continue to wear that suit for 20 years, and you'll never be out of style. No, it makes sense. So, like, people right now that are wearing those, like, super, super narrow legs, yeah. those things, you know, they were in when the Beatles were in, yeah. they came in now, and yeah. then they'll go out, and you won't be able to wear that suit for another 40 no, years. No, yeah, exactly, and that's the thing. I mean, watch, in one, one to two years, you're going to see the legs of the trousers getting wider and wider, the lapels of the coats getting wider and wider, because they got to sell you something, mm. right? So, if you have a closet full of tiny little lapels and tight, tight trousers, mm -hmm. well, you don't need any more suits. But if fashion dictates that everything starts changing the opposite direction and you realize you're out of style, you then are forced to get rid of those old suits and buy a new wardrobe. So I have a feeling, and I might be wrong, but I have this little bit of the premonition where I feel like everything in life cycles. Oh, yeah. So 20, like I'm 42, 20 years ago I was going to clubs and there was dress codes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you have people in like $500 <laughs> sweatshirts and they like, they just, they look like shit. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like everything cycles so like, the well-dressed gentleman is coming back. I feel like it is. I feel like especially for uh, our, like our generation and a little bit younger, they're starting to realize that they want to pay a little more attention to themselves. Yeah. And it's also fun for them because they're learning new skills. Like, not our fa my father never taught me how to tie a tie. You know? So like, when I started wearing ties, I had to like, figure out how to tie a tie. Mm. But when the, my dad was a kid and his father was a kid, that was like something they got taught was how to tie a tie. So now I feel like these kids are realizing, oh, like I was never trained this and now I'm learning this new way of dressing, this new way of expressing myself and the, while, you know, maintaining this formality. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's coming back. So I want to get into why you do this because... Because <laughs> I'm insane. <laughs> no, like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> why, like, why do you do it? And then I want to talk about like the process of what you went through because you really, like, this is a... A very tough business. Yes. It is extremely labor intensive, so yes. it's difficult to scale, which we'll talk about later. You're literally trying to scale the unscalable. Yes. And and that's really the reason why there's not a lot of you around because it's it's a tough business model for that reason. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of us around, I think, because uh, tailors in the United States, um, and there's very few of them, uh, you could probably count them on one hand, have been... Um, <clears throat> not very faithful stewards to the craft, not to put them down, but I think that they're phenomenal human beings and what they've done with their craft is you know, some of the most beautiful stuff I've seen. But at the same time, they haven't been responsible with it. They've, they've had tailors who have you know, made for them and that's been their core made for them tailors. And then those guys started dying and then the tailor yeah. has gotten old and that guy's gotten old to the point where he's like, I'm done. And they just kind of close up shop. Yeah. And so while in the differences is in Italy and in, in London or in England, they're taking the youth and they're going, okay, we'll build you up. And so they're growing a new crop of talent. And in the, in the United States, we've just kind of given up on it. Are, uh, they, are they interested in doing that in other countries? It's like yeah. Yeah. So like there's a, there's a school on Savile Row mm -hmm. that the Savile Row tailors or two, one, two tailors work with. Um, there's a school that I went to which we can talk about that too. Yep. Um, and that, that's still going to this day and still generating tailors or you know, generating the opportunity for students to become tailors. Um, but here in the United States, we don't have anything like that. Um, so you know, we've, kind of, we've kind of embraced this idea that you go to college and once you go, to, you go to college, then you get a job and you get that job and you stick with that job and that's your thing. We haven't really celebrated this craftsmanship yeah. in the United States, so we don't really have 
this push for an apprenticeship idea or this idea that maybe you don't need to go to college, maybe you should, yeah. you know, maybe you should use your hands or work in the arts or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so what I did was I went to college <laughs> and, did, and, and graduated in something that I didn't really you know, end up using. What did you go for? I went for philosophy theology. Okay. So it was like, it was to the, it was like, all right, so you either go and get your PhD and become a professor. Yeah. And then it's like, well, that's another, you know, I don't know, six to 10 more years. So I just kind of went into the finance field. So I worked at TD Ameritrade. Okay. And then in 2009, when everything kind of went to hell with the uh, uh, housing market and Bear Stearns and all that stuff, I was the first one in the TD Ameritrade, and because of that, I was the first one last out. Last one in, first yeah. one out. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, or not the first one, the last one in yeah. and the first one out. So anyways, um, I got laid off, and I told my wife that I wanted to do something fun. I didn't want to work in a cubicle anymore. She said, well, what do you want to do? And I, I'd seen this guy downtown San Diego who looked like he was making bespoke suits, and I had read this article about Savile Row, and I was super interested. So I said, I want to learn how to make suits. And my wife was like, what, really? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, all right, go for it, but just don't quit. So it's still to wow. this day, this always hits the back of my brain when, whenever I'm frustrated. It's my wife telling me you can't quit. So I was wow. like, I won't, I won't, I won't. <clears throat> so I went down. How important, just to quit, how important do you think having her and saying that and that support system was? I would have given, I would have been gone. I would, I would not be sitting here today. There's, it's, yeah. It's that hard. It's that hard. It's that, it's that hard. It's so anyways, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. So I went down to the guy in San Diego. I went into his shop and I said, I said, um, I want to learn how to do this. And he looked at me, he's like, how old are you? And I was like 25 at the time. I said 25. And he goes, no one under 75 is doing this. Why do you want to do this? And I was like, I don't know. I just find it beautiful. And he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to stop you. If you come in, you come in Wow. and you know, you can watch me work. We'll figure I'll see. So I was like, all right. So the next day I showed up, came in, and I watched him work. He didn't have anything for me to do because I'm, I mean, as an apprentice in tailoring, you're useless. So if you're useless, they can't give you anything to do. But you can watch, you can learn, you can kind of pick things up. And that's what I've always been good at is I've always been good at watching something happening mm -hmm. and, and processing it in my brain and then, you know, figuring it out that way. So I'd watch him work. And then one day he was like, all right. I'll teach you how to make buttonholes because we make our buttonholes by hand. Yeah. <clears throat> so they take about 15 to 20 minutes per buttonhole if you're good. So I was like, okay. So he gives me this cloth and he cuts the buttonhole for me and gives me the thread and he shows me the kind of the, how he does it. Well, he, he hadn't made buttonholes in probably like 30 years. His wife makes the buttonholes. So mm -hmm. he was like, I think this is how she does it. So she, he shows me. So I work on that for like two months. <clears throat> Wow. Just yeah, doing buttonholes. Just holes. doing buttonholes. Watching him and doing buttonholes. It's, it's tedious handwork. Yeah, it's, it's all handwork. It's all handwork. So it's just, it's literally, you pass the, the needle kind of halfway through, you wrap it, you pull it, and you create this knot, and it's, it's this little pearl that sits, and it goes all the way down the line and all the way back. How many times have you stabbed yourself? Oh, too many times. <laughs> <laughs> the worst is when it goes in between the nails. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but you get, now I'm to the point where I think if I stab myself It's like there, leather. It's like, yeah, yeah there's it's nothing, like nothing comes out. Nothing happens. <laughs> Usually you're like bleeding profusely and it's all over the client's coat or whatever. But nowadays oh. it just stabs and you're just like, oh, I cut myself. <laughs> so anyway, so I did that. <clears throat> then this guy comes in and he's got his suits made all over the world. And he's a friend of the tailor. And he said, oh, you're trying to learn this? I said, yeah, I really want to. He said, oh, you should learn in Italy. And I said, yeah, right, man. And I was like, I just got laid off. I've got a wife. You know, we're living in San Diego. We're not swimming in money. And he's like, no, I'm serious. Like, he's like, you got a, you got a house? And I said, no, we rent. He said, you got any kids? I said, no. And he said, so what's stopping you? And I said, all right, well, we'll see. So he told me about 
Maestro Gallo, and he's starting up this school in Rome, and then he told me about the Brioni school as well. So I went home, told my wife. She said, well, why not? Why don't we just try? Wow. So I was like, all right, well, the only one I know is Brioni, so I'll try that. So I contacted Brioni here in New York. I said, how do you get into the school in, in Italy? And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to the Brioni school to learn how to make suits. And they said, I don't, no one, I don't think anyone can get it. I think you have to be born there. And like this Brioni, this company that has stores all over the world, had no idea how to get like an American into their, yeah. their school to learn tailoring. So I was like, all right, well, this is, this is a point. Oh, so they never came back with an answer. No, they had no idea. Like he, the, someone was like, oh, I'll talk to so-and-so. I got all the way up the chain. I, mean, I might have even talked to the CEO at one point. He had no idea. Wow. <laughs> get someone in there. So I was like, all right, this is pointless. So I contacted Mr. Gallo. And I told him my situation and everything. And he said his daughter spoke some English. Mr. Gallo speaks no no English. And so he, she said, you know, tell us your story. Tell us why you want to come, and we'll see if we accept you. So I told him. And they said, all right, we'll accept you. Um, you know, you got to pay your way. you got to figure, you know, because we never had an American. They were like, we've never had an American come. You were the first American <laughs> I was the first ever? American ever to go. You don't have to speak Italian. At that point, no. You go in Italy to yeah. learn how to be a tailor, and nobody speaks English. Yeah, nobody speaks English. The daughter speaks, like, broken English. So I was like, all right. <clears throat> so I tell Rachel, and she's like, all right, let's do it. So I worked like delivering pizzas, getting paid under the table. I collected my unemployment at the same time, or my, yeah, my unemployment, got my pizza delivery money under the table, saved everything. My <laughs> wife worked a corporate job at that time, which was great because uh. she brought in some more money and um, <clears throat> sold everything we owned. Wow. Like literally everything we owned. I think we left with two, three suitcases of clothes and that's it. And that was mostly hers. <laughs> so <clears throat> we sold everything we owned. We went through the visa situation, which was a pain. Uh, we're, we got our tickets and everything. We're flying into Rome and we're landing. We're descending to land at Fumicino, the Roman airport. And it just hits me. I'm like, oh, what are we doing? Like, this is insane. <laughs> and the other thing was, you have to, for your visa, you have to get yeah. like a place to stay before you go. So you have to show the Italian consulate that you have a place to live. Well, how the hell do you do that if you don't speak the language and you have like no money? So we found this school outside of Rome that was a theology, theology school mm -hmm. and uh, they rented rooms. Okay. So we contacted them and they said, okay, yeah, we'll rent you a room. Uh, it was dirt cheap. And the guy who was renting us the room was like, oh, and by the way, if you want, I'll pick you up from the airport. I was like, oh, great. What a nice guy. And he said, I'll be the guy outside of baggage claim with a Canada hat and a newspaper. And I was like, okay. So we're descending in Rome, and I'm like, my whole entire future rests on if there's a man outside of baggage claim with a Canada hat and a newspaper. Because I don't know where this room it is. It sounds like, exciting, though. Yeah, it was crazy. And Rachel's, like, having a great time. And I'm, everything's hitting me, like, because you know, I feel like i got to take care of her. I drag her halfway across the world. i got to mm -hmm. know what I'm doing. Anyways, luckily, there was a guy with a Canada hat and a newspaper. <laughs> so he drives us out, and then he goes, um, you guys need tickets to go back into Rome? And we said, yeah, you know, because we're going to go every, every day to mm -hmm. Rome to go to school because we were outside. So he's like, all right, I'll help you get your bus and, and metro tickets. And I said, okay. So we drive back into the little city center. We go to the newspaper stand because that's where you buy your tickets, apparently. And we had taken like a little bit of um, <clears throat> Rosetta Stone. So remember that program back in the day? Yeah, of course. Like Rosetta Stone, yeah. yeah. So I was like, all right, I learned some Italian. I should know something. And I knew the word for ticket. It was biglietto. 
Okay, so I knew at some point this man and this woman's going to have this conversation about getting tickets and someone's going to say billetto because that's tickets, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm listening for billetto and he says, bibbidi babbidi boo, and she says, babbidi babbidi boo, babbidi boo, and they come back and forth and nobody says billetto and he turns to me and goes, all right, they don't have a monthly pass, but they got a weekly, it's going to be X amount of euro. And I said, okay, and I gave him the euro. And then he talked to her, and blah, blah, nobody still, nobody said billetto, and I don't have a clue how they got these, you know, tickets without saying the word for ticket. Anyways, he gives me the stuff, and then he leaves us there, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go do some more errands. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, we're in the middle of some town in Rome or in Italy, and I have no idea how to get back to my room. So, anyways, that all hit me, and uh, it was just crazy. But everything about kind of that whole journey was like that because, yeah. like you said, like our – we didn't – with the school, nobody spoke Italian, so I learned by failing. Yeah. So, you know, I'd do what the maestro thought I was supposed to do, and he'd come by and go, what the heck are you doing? And he'd tell me to rip it, which I learned that word fast, scucci. So scucci means rip it. Okay. So I had to take it all apart and redo it again. So that's how I learned. So it was through failure that I learned, you know, how to do it. But it was, uh, it was pain. So talk about, talk about the training process and how long you were there and what you yeah, had to go so through. Yeah, so I was there for three years, and we went from... 9 in the morning till 2 p.m., and then everyone left, and then I would sneak in, back in, and work with the master coat maker until, like, he left at 7 p.m., so I'd spend as much time as humanly possible about this stuff, because we're living off savings, yeah. and so I could, I'd watch my savings, you know, dwindle, and I was like, well, if I don't learn all this in three years, I'm screwed, so. Wow. Yeah, so we did, I did everything I could to learn, and finagled, and, you know, every time everyone else was <clears throat> doing their work, I'd watch them. And when the master coat maker would come around and show them what they did or didn't do wrong, I'd watch and I'd be over them and I'd, every, every chance I got. And we learned, we started with making vests. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to make a vest by hand. And then we moved to making trousers and then we moved to making coats. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's that easy, but it's not that easy. Because every, every stitch that you put into this coat has to be precise. And if it's wrong, any wrong stitch is going to screw up later. Because yeah. you're building, it's almost like building a house. You would understand this. You know, so if your foundation is good, then, you know, the, the next step is great. But if, then your walls go up. But if your walls are wrong, yeah. then, every, you know, if any stage in that process, anything's off or tweaked, your whole house is screwed by the time you put the paint on. It's a know? domino effect. Yeah, it's a domino effect. So it's that same thing. When we put the canvas into to the coat, it's floating. Yeah. It's a floating canvas. And it has to sit at the same amount of tension throughout that coat, you know, from shoulder down to the bottom, or you're going to get a fullness in the coat that you don't want or a tightness in the coat that you don't want. It's going to have it kick somewhere. Explain that to people. Explain what a floating canvas is so people understand. Yeah, so 99.999% of your suits out there are fused, which is this fabric that has glue to it. And what they do is they glue it to the cloth, basically. So it gives it that kind of strength and that feeling of a, mm -hmm. of a jacket. But it's just glued there. And over time, that glue breaks down. And then you're, you'll, see, you'll see bubbling in your coat or things like that. Or if it gets too humid or too much steam on it, it'll do that. Then other people have decided, well, we'll use a half canvas. So <clears throat> canvas is made out of, like, um, usually goat. So it's a goat-woven fiber and, um, or linen or something like that. So they'll glue half of it, and they'll do a canvas in the other one. Our canvas is all one piece with another piece of horsehair canvas on it. So that's your chest canvas. And we roll that 
it's easier to like explain if you have yeah. it, but anyways. And then that is sit, that is basted into the coat and then held there just by the pocket and the shoulder and the sleeve and the lapel. So it's floating, it's moving. So there's a layer of cloth and a layer of canvas, but they are together, but they're not together, if that makes any sense. So before you had said you, you were basically working twice as hard as everybody else there and yeah. you only had three years. So yeah. most people would say, yo, three years is a really long time. How long does it really take to get to the level where you are considered a master tailor? So if you, if you went the um, route of being an apprentice, it'd take you 15 to 20 years. If you went the route of going to a school where they focused directly on this, which is what I did, then I shortened that. I got probably nine years and three years. Okay, so I still had another 11, 10, uh, still another six to 11 years left to order to become a maestro or even a, an adequate tailor, to be honest, to be called tailor. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so if you went through apprenticeship, you'd take 15, 20 years. I did nine years and three years because we expedited the process. They taught us how to yeah. cut. They taught us how to, um, to do some fitting. They taught us how to make patterns. They taught us how to make coats from scratch, vests, and trousers. If you can do all that, that usually would take you like 20 years. So once I was done with my apprenticeship in Rome, I had to find a second place to apprentice. And I was out of money, so I couldn't stay in Rome because we were down to our last cigarette, basically. <laughs> and so, um, so I, we came back to the United States. I asked a guy who's a great cutter and fitter in Chicago, who was a fantastic tailor. Um, I don't know if he still is working, but um, I asked him if I could work under him. And he said, you know, I don't know how good you are. I know that you trained under somebody, but I don't know what their method is. Because every tailor has different methods of yeah. doing things. But he said, if you come out here, I'm not going to kick you out. So I said, okay. Same thing as last Same time. Same thing as last time. So I got a job at Nordstrom. They allowed me to transfer to Chicago. So I, we transferred to Chicago. And I started working uh, in the mornings at Nordstrom or in the afternoons at Nordstrom. And then after work, I would go and work with um, Chris, the tailor in Chicago, mm -hmm. <clears throat> because he kept weird hours. He would start work at like 4 p.m. and finish at like, nine, or like 11 or 12, which is the craziest thing. But when you're working a day job, it really helps you out as an yeah. apprentice. So I apprenticed under him for another five years, and then he paid me for two years. And then I realized that I just couldn't keep working under him because I wasn't learning. I wasn't growing. I was staying stagnant. <clears throat> and... My wife and my mother-in-law were talking to me about it, and they both said, well, what's your ideal situation? I said, well, the best would be to start my own shop in New York. And they were like, all right, well, we should do that. So we saved everything we owned again, and we moved out here to New York. And I got a job uh, helping a buddy of mine adjust his patterns for his trousers because he just bought a factory and didn't know what he was doing. So I was, I was adjusting his patterns and making sure that they were up to quality standards and quality controlling his place for him. So he paid me to do that for a year. And then I set up on my own here in New York and got five clients and five turned into 10 and 10 turned into 15 and 20. And yeah, finally got to here. I want to talk about, because um, again, I, I watch all your videos and I watch a ton <laughs> of these different videos, but what nobody ever talks about interesting is the, how the businessman or businesswoman meets the artist. It's terrifying. Because, <laughs> because it's like, I mean, because they're different kind of like, you know, different brains, different parts of you, where sometimes people have one thing and they don't have the other. Like, I can't hammer a nail, but I've built over 400 houses in the last five years. Yeah. You know, you're doing both. And you're also, again, like we started to kind of come full circle, you're trying to scale the unscalable. Yeah. So you're trying to do, like, 
the product is obviously expensive, but it's expensive because the material is quality and it takes a very long time to make. Yes. So how do you go about scaling a business like that? Well, so that, the answer to that is, is in twofold. I'll start with the first one. First one is I started on my own, started my shop on my own, figured how hard could it be? Uh, I know how to make coats, I know how to fit. I'll, I can do everything. <clears throat> so I started on my own where you bought a suit from me, I made your pattern, I cut your pattern, I put it together for a fitting, I broke down your fittings, I replaced your fittings, I did everything, and then I built your coat all the way from piece of cloth to the finished product. By so yourself. By myself, yeah. no help. And then I was like, all right, this is getting overwhelming, but it's, I can still do it. But maybe, how many suits can you make in a year if you're doing it by yourself? Not as many as you had anticipated, let yeah. me put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> not as many as I thought I could. So then I got to the point where clients were like, whoa, this is taking a really long time. And so then I was like, yeah, I know, but you know, I'm doing everything. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll find you know, help. Well, then you realize there's, no ta there's not a talent pool. Yeah. Like, you, know, you don't put up an ad on monster.com you know, for a bespoke tailor and get like 150 applications. You, know, you put up an ad for a bespoke tailor, you get nobody except for someone <laughs> who's maybe worked in a factory. But those are completely different skills. Yeah. So then it's like, well, then I got to train someone. So it got to the point where it was like, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. So I reached out to my maestro in Rome, and I said, we make the same suit because he trained me. And I never deviated from Mr. Gallo's pattern because I thought he made the most beautiful stuff. And so I was like, I make the exact same thing as you. Could you help me make? Could you, if I send you stuff, could you help me make the coats and the trousers? And he said, Eric, we're not a factory. Like, we're a bespoke tailor shop. We don't, you know, we don't do cut make trim for people he said but yeah you've trained under us you've been a part of us for a while we respect your work you do the same as us so we'll do it for you but we wouldn't do this for anybody else I said thank you that's incredible <clears throat> and it was an honor and then he said maybe someday we'll ask something of you and I said okay so oh, that's interesting yeah yeah I didn't know that part of the yeah story. yeah so so I started sending him my stuff <laughs> he said they were sending it back it was okay. everything was working great and then his son Marco uh, who's slowly taking over the business in Rome, reached out and said, Eric, what would you say, since this is working so well, if we did something where we combined brands like Gallo for Jensen or Jensen for Gallo? I said, Margo, in all, like, with all due respect to you, there's no way that, that, first of all, that doesn't sound right, Jensen for Gallo, Gallo for Jensen. That sounds odd. I said, but you have the name, you have the storied history you have the, the tailors, the bespoke tailors that you guys have trained up or been with. Like one of our coat makers has been around since he was 12, working since he was 12 with them. So um, I was like, why don't I just join your brand? Why don't we just combine and just Jensen goes away and it's just Sartoria Gallo, New York? Because you already have this history and the storied um, presence in Italy, but you're not known in the U.S., and he said, that would be amazing. Would you be okay with that? I said, yeah, that would be an honor for me. Because I'm, I'm working under the name that trained me, you know, that started this whole crazy process in the beginning. Um, so we joined brands. We, you know, <clears throat> became 50-50 partners here in the U.S. And, and um, so that, that began that whole process. And that's really, really helped because now I can cut yeah. and I can fit and I can make the patterns, but I don't have to do every aspect of it. And I've got guys in Italy who have been doing this, again, since they were 12, and they make just gorgeous, gorgeous pieces. Um, so that's been the, the great thing. The, the second side of that question is that, no, I didn't go to school for business. And I went to school for... Even if you did, yeah. it wouldn't matter. Even if I did, it wouldn't matter. They don't matter. teach you anything yeah. that you can do. I know. And so, and I spent the 
15, greater part of my career in what I'm doing now, the 15 years of that, just learning how to do the stupid art, you know, like this craft takes so much time and it's like getting your PhD and your doctorate at the same time. Or like if you're going to school to be a brain surgeon, it's kind of that amount of time. So no brain surgeon has time to also figure out how to do business, you know. So that, that was the thing that, that kind of has given me a headache even still to this day is I'm sure I could be doing business better. You know, I'm sure there's an aspect of, of um, running the books or hiring the right people or, you know, doing things like that that would probably help in scaling the business. But it's something that I was never trained in. And at this point, I don't have time for it. Um, so we're working on ways to kind of fix that problem. But, you know, when Brioni, if everyone, anyone knows who Brioni is, um, when they started out, they were a legitimate tailoring house. So it was legitimately a bespoke tailor, and he was found by a businessman. Yeah. And that businessman and that bespoke tailor kind of joined forces and created what we know today. Yeah. As you know, even though it's lost some of its luster, it was once a really high-end bespoke tailoring house that also was able to understand how to do business at the same time. So yeah. That's something. And that trend is actually, I, I forgot the name of it, but I, I've seen, the, uh, I think there was one in Savile Row, there was like an, uh, a hedge fund guy who came in and bought. Huntsman. Was it Huntsman? Yeah, it was Huntsman. Yeah, and now, yeah. yeah. And now they got a place here in New York and, a, yeah, and, and they're doing better. But, so yeah, no, that, that, um, that yeah. makes sense. So it's, yeah, because that's the thing is like, once, when you have an artist who spent his entire, you know, good portion of his life learning the craft, yeah. he never took the time to figure out how to, you know, be a bespoke tailor. I mean, to be a businessman at the same time. So, you know, like you said, you never learned how to hammer a nail. Yeah. But you learned how to run a business, business correctly and you knew how to do business, you knew how to market, you knew how to do all that stuff. And that's helped propel your business because you've been able yeah. to hire people uh, under you who know how to nail nails really well. Yeah. I mean, I touch on the point because, you know, and in my business you can relate to like, you know, plumbers or electricians, just because you're really good at doing whatever it is the business is doesn't mean you can run a business. Yeah. And there's a lot of struggles that come along with that because there's no, where do you, where do you learn it? Yeah, exactly. So, you learn by, by trial and error and, you know. <laughs> um, I want to talk about, you know, the branding and the marketing and ultimately what gets people here. You know, your, uh, your wife is excellent at, you know, social media. Yeah. So I'm sure that's really a, a big help. But just kind of talk about, you know, how you, you can make the most beautiful suit in the world, but if nobody knows you're here, it, yeah. it's for nothing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then you're just doing a hobby. Right. So, so how do you go about, you know, really branding yourself in, in a place where it's great that you're the only person, but at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of people that appreciate it, but like we were talking about before, when I walk into a high-end club now, like I was for the first time in a long time this weekend, everyone's wearing like sweatshirts and, and sweatpants. It's like, yeah. it's, it's... Usually with a brand on them, too. It's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> um, so, you know, how do you, how do you position the product? How do you put it, get it out there for people? The, there's, a, there's a good thing about the, um, the way that I am and the business that I'm in. And the good thing about that is there's little to no competition. Um, so <clears throat> I, if you want a bespoke Italian suit, mm -hmm. like a suit that's made in the Italian tradition with yeah. the whole aspects and foundation of an Italian suit, um, and you want it bespoke, you want it handmade, um, and you don't want to wait for someone to travel, I'm the only game in the United States. It's a beautiful thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's really quite cool. So <laughs> because of that, the, and I make a great product, um, so because of that, I have clients who have told other clients and that's how my business has just grown. Just word of mouth. Yeah, it's been word yeah. of mouth, 90%. I do a couple things like this, you know, with you and with Kirby Allison, and, but that's about it. 
So that's how I gain my clients. I want to find a way to grow that, to expand that. Um, but again, that's probably a business aspect of something that I'm missing. Um, well, it also takes time. Oh, well, yeah, and it takes time. You yeah. haven't really, I mean, in the grand scheme of this, you, you haven't been doing this on your own like this for that no, long. No, no, yeah. So I was on my own own for about a year and nine months. Mm -hmm. And then I've been under the Gallo name. Uh, in April, it'll be one year. It really, I mean, they say, and this is true, it really takes minimum three to five years to really yeah. build a business. Yeah, that's you know, right. Call it five years. Yeah, yeah. So you're like starting to get into that. And, and, and it's moving. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like we're, we're, we're moving, we're doing fantastic work, we're doing good turnaround, we're doing a good amount of um, growth year upon year. So, you know, for that I can't complain. I think you always want to run faster than... Of course. Yeah, instead of You always of crawl. think you're behind. Like yeah. if you're an overachiever, you're just, you always wish you were a yeah. step ahead. Yeah, yeah, Because you know, someone else is always a step ahead, you know? No, so you always true. like, you know, for me, it's like, oh man, well, when I do a trunk show, I bring in X amount of people, but yeah. I see that when Huntsman does a trunk show or when even a traveling tailor like um, Ambrosi or Rubinacci does a trunk show, they bring like three times what I bring in. So then it's like, oh man, I want to be them. But they've been around for like a yeah. hundred years. Yes. So yeah, I guess you have to take everything in stride. No, <laughs> I, um, listen, the product's beautiful. It was, uh, it was great. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this. Yeah. Um, these things, I mean, if you are, if you're going to wear a suit at any point in time, you need to do this for yourself. You need, you need to come here. You need to do this for yourself. They make great gifts for people. It's something that's very cool. Like I've given the, uh, the gift of a suit to certain people that are very special to me and that I do a lot of business with. And there's, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. No, it's, it's a, it's a completely different experience. I think for most people, super cool yeah, experience to ever go through. If you're, I mean, you not only get an incredible, um, product at the end of it mm. but it's also the experience that is kind of a little more a little life-changing as well especially because nowadays we're just point and click we buy yep. you know so there's no affinity there's no kind of no. uh relationship between client and and whoever you're buying it from but with us like we have to have a, a relationship because yes. like, we see each other at least four to five times over the uh, over the building of the suit and we i have to get to know you like i i can build a suit how i want it to look mm. but you may never like it because you have you have things within your head that you don't want to see on your body, or you have things within your head that you want things to fit, and I have to learn that about you, or we're never going to get a suit that we both are happy with at the end of it. So there's there's a lot of a relationship between the two, and it's fun because you know you get to meet people like you know it's handsome a, home buyer. It's a thank you. It's it is a very 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 cool experience, yeah. and and unlike anything else you you will uh, you will do. So if you are uh, for the real estate community, listen. If you're I've seen you at networking events, mortgage brokers, realtors, etc. Your suits look terrible. <laughs> you got to come here. If people are uh, interested in yeah. scaling up and really getting a custom suit, how do they find you? So you can find us on our website, sartoriagallo.com. Uh, click the English button because everything's in Italian if you don't. Um, if not, we're at um, 1298 Madison Avenue, floor two. Um, and if not, you can also find us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So we're sartoria.gallo.nyc. You'll see the phone number and any contacts that way. Finally, you can email us if you just want some information. New York at SartreaGallo.com. I think we'll, that's it. We'll put the uh, we'll put the links <laughs> and everything down in the comments section. Uh, again, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Obviously, if you have a house that smells like cat pee, dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold, land, commercial property, you know I want to buy it. Five one six seven 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 sold. That's a wrap. <laughs>